Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, it is Tuesday the 11th of February. I'm Jules Breach, he's Andy Brassel and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Today we're going to be talking about our experiences going to football matches as fans and we'll also be talking about the mistakes that characterise certain coaches and why they don't seem to address them. So let's get straight into it, Andy, because... Here I am, sat after watching Brighton against Watford on a very rare weekend off. And tonight, you're also heading to watch your beloved Wimbledon take on Ipswich. That's right. It's it's one of those event-type games. And they happen quite a lot when you support AFC Wimbledon. It happened in the conference. Like, you can't, you're like, I can't believe we're playing York, Stroke, Luton. And then after a while, you're like, I can't believe we're playing Portsmouth or Rochdale in an actual league game. Ipswich is, is one of those. I remember um, when we played Ipswich away, my friend Chris Parrott, who I'm going to the game with tonight, he, um, a football commentator, he uh, texted me when we were winning at half time, going, we've never lost a home game in Europe and now we're losing to you lot. <laughs> <laughs> what words of comfort can you offer? Well, obviously you don't want to offer any words of comfort, but How, what can you say to Yeah, that? exactly. How optimistic are you going to the game tonight then? When seeing no, not, as you, not massively. you went to the reverse fixture away. Yeah, and we lost in well, we lost in like the ninety fourth minute to a very very avoidable goal. So I kind of feel like we're owed something. We're winning for a massive chunk of that game. Mm. I feel like we're owed something. If the football gods are with us, show yourselves. You're braving it in this weather as well. It's That's been horrible, hasn't it? You know what? I think that little part of where South London turns into Surrey seems to get the thick of it as well. I've been in some really cold games there in sort of February. 
sort of late February sort of time. Yeah. So uh, well, Storm Kira yeah. is uh, disrupting all the football this weekend. Storm Storm Sabina. Sabina, that's what you're calling it, isn't it? Yeah, that's what that's what she's called in Germany. <laughs> yeah. But Kira is over here. Apparently, Kira, you told me I thought it was Ciara. It's Kira. It's Kira. Yeah. There you go. Well, luckily, the Brighton-Watford game was still on this weekend. And yeah. I'm so glad it did go ahead because that was a little bit before the storm kind of properly hit South and, and sort of like middle of England. Yes. And honestly, to have a weekend off of the score off BT Sport is so rare because we pretty much do every single weekend throughout the season apart from the international breaks. So, so this, does, does it feel weird then? Yeah, it felt so weird. Yeah. This mid-season player break has meant that I had last weekend off and then this coming weekend I've got off as well. And I woke up on Saturday morning without an alarm clock, which was weird in Did itself. Did you feel like you should have been somewhere? Yeah, I was sort of, you know, you just lie there in bed and I was just like sat on my phone and I thought... This feels strange. I don't really, I don't know if I liked it or not. Yeah, I kind yeah. of prefer going to work on a Saturday, which sounds a bit sad, really, but, but well, it's you true. Well, you have to buy your own croissants at home, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have to make my own cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, that's the thing is, it, um, yeah, it did feel a bit strange not going to work. But the bonus of that is that I managed to actually get to a football match because Brighton seemed to play at three o'clock most Saturdays, Yes, um, which is just what happens when you're down there in the bottom half of the table. But... I never get to go because I have sun- most Sundays off and our games are never, ever on a Sunday. So as soon as I saw I had this weekend off and I looked at the fixtures, I thought, oh my God, it is on a Saturday, but I can actually go this time round. So yeah. yeah, so managed to get tickets for the game and it was so good to go as a fan because normally when you're preparing, you'll know this, Andy, as well, when you're preparing to go to a football match for work, it's completely different type of preparation because you've obviously got to do actual prep for the match, know all the stats, mm. get everything sorted, bring your iPad or your laptop with you and just obviously be in the frame of mind for work. Whereas on Saturday, I went for lunch before, had a couple of drinks, you know, it was just nice, a nice yeah. different experience. So so how do, how do you get to the ground? Because for people who haven't been to the Amex before, it's not it's not in the centre of town, is it? It's, it's, it's not in Brighton itself. So yeah. do, do, you, do you get a bus from the station or did you drive? I mean, for, for, for me, when I came down from London, uh, when I've been there, I drive and there's a little car park at the university next door. And yep, you just, I know the you one. Just, you just I went to that in. uni. Oh, did you? Yeah, that was my uni, University of Sussex. Nice. I, I didn't see you had a reserved parking space there. <laughs> I don't have a reserved space. <laughs> no, but actually I was quite lucky um, at the weekend because um, Steve Sidwell, name drop, um, <laughs> he actually managed to sort out a parking space for us. Oh, did he? And the tickets. Nice. He's an absolute ledge. So, um, so yeah, so I didn't actually have to pay for the tickets, which is one of the perks of the job. And also, yeah, he got us a parking space. So it was quite handy, but it's a nightmare to get out of there even if you've got a parking space because the way they do it because it is such a it's like like you've already explained the ground is out of town yeah there's one station that goes anywhere near it Falmer Station yeah Falmer Station and if you're not going to the station then you're either getting a lift there getting a taxi or you're parking in one of the car parks Mm. and basically there's a good there's quite a decent park and ride system where you can leave your car a couple of miles down the road and then buses will take you to the match and they don't they let all of those buses out first before any cars can leave the car park. So you've got to wait until they fill up like six double-decker buses with football fans and let them out of the car park first before 
you can get out. So is it like Spurs where you can stay in the stadium for a drink afterwards or is it once it's over, they kick you out? Yeah, you can actually stay for a bit, which is pretty good. Right. So yeah, you can stay for a certain... They don't let you stay for ages, because but they do let you stay for a while. With Spurs, for example, the, the experience there is that they, they want you to come early and leave late because yeah. there's no real way or they've not found any real way of expanding the transport options. They've tightened up White Hart Lane Station a bit, but you know, not to an incredible degree, and it's not really improved the capacity that much. So they want it to be affordable and inhabitable, and mm. they've, they've made a pretty good job of that. It's, it's an interesting alternative to, well, just everyone queuing for hour and a half to get home yeah do you know what we did though so I went with my friend Becky to the game right and she also works as as um, a football reporter and presenter for the Premier League and for BT Sport and we went along together and we thought I mean shall we go into the press room because we know we can get a free cup of tea and some free food <laughs> so we did so we went into the press lounge and obviously because the tickets were from from SIDS he we, we managed to get in so it yeah. was fine um but at the end of the match, we wanted to go back down into the press lounge just to say bye to a few people who we'd been chatting to before the game. Yes. So we saw, you know, a few journalists and other people that work in telly that are our friends. So we wanted to go back down and say bye to them before we left. And when we went to get in the lift, because we were right up in like the West Stand upper of the stadium. So yeah. we had to get a lift down and... um the steward said, "Oh, sorry, sorry, girls. This is for um, this is for staff only. Only if you you work in work in the media." And we were like, "Oh, we do." So it was one of those amazing moments where, because we're two girls, they just didn't think we worked really? in football. Yeah, and it was funny because he was like, "Oh, can can I just see? Can I double check your tickets?" We were like, "Yeah, sure." So it was one of those moments where it does still happen. People just assume you're a girl. You don't. You can't possibly work in football. Did you flex your muscles out. <laughs> I did. I did. I was like. <laughs> I was like, I'm a bloody Brighton fan. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the experience going to the game was different to obviously normally working at a match, despite the fact that we still went into the press lounge and made the most of all of the freebies. Yeah. But um, yeah, the game itself, oh, it was it was horrible. Horrible 90 minutes. I spent the whole time just nervous. It was one of those tense matches that from the minute it started... It was just a, please don't lose this. Yeah, that, that is the thing, isn't it? Uh, Wimbledon have had more of those sort of matches than I would care to remember over the last couple of seasons where you feel a, a bit sick. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, when, when, especially when you concede an equaliser, you briefly contemplate, oh, what happens if we actually don't win this? Well, that's the thing, is when, yeah. you, con- when you concede a goal in the first half yeah. and you're the, yeah. you're the team to concede first, it's even worse because then you yeah. spend the rest of the match chasing the game and chasing an equaliser and, and just desperately trying to get an equaliser. And you start to think, having gone into the game going, we have to win this, yeah. after conceding first, you then think, let's just not lose this now. Let's just at least get a point, at yeah, least equalise. definitely seeps through to the, 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 the players, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, th- that is the thing about English football, whether you're going to Wimbledon or Brighton, you're really close to the pitch. You know, mm. there's no way the players don't feel that tension. It's it's an absolutely huge thing, isn't it? You could really sense the nerves in the stadium and particularly more after we went 1-0 down. It was uh, not a very nice place to be and the atmosphere wasn't great, to be honest. And yeah. I know Graham Potter has spoken about the atmosphere at the Amex probably quite a bit over the last month, pretty much since the FA Cup loss yeah. to Sheffield Wednesday. It's been mentioned a fair few times and he mentioned it again in his post-match interview that, you know, once you go behind and the crowd start to get a bit nervous, he said you can feel it and you, you really could. It was it was tense in the stadium and, and 
I think that definitely must rub off on the players and they must be able to feel that too. Yeah, I mean, people like Graham Potter, but he's, he's not got the same situation that he, he had at Ostersons because there he was a club legend and, you know, you have a, a pretty new fan base by and large who are just eating out of his hand. So yeah. the, the difference in terms of pressure, you know, for going, I think the difference between being the Messiah and being liked is absolutely enormous. So, you know, that's that's something that I guess is a bit of an adjustment for him. I mean, I do like the way he manages to to stay pretty positive. He's so calm. Yeah. When I was watching both the managers in their technical areas and the difference in demeanour from Nigel Pearson to Graham Potter. Graham Potter was constantly just clapping. Yeah. He was very positive, very calm. When we went behind, he wasn't sort of losing it or kind of... He didn't change at any stage throughout the yeah. game from when Brighton were... When it was nil-nil, from when it was nil-one or from when it went one all. His yeah. demeanour is the same the whole way through. Whereas Nigel Pearson, he was furious when that equaliser went in. And of course he's going to be because it's an own goal. So there's a different feeling. And especially when you've been ahead for most of the game and then that comes quite late on in the second half. Yeah, that's obviously going to be very frustrating for Nigel Pearson, but very different characters. Yeah. And um, uh, it's, it's interesting actually because um, Glenn Hodges at Wimbledon at the moment has a a sort of different sort of relationship with the, with the with the fans, I guess. I don't think he'll ever be judged by his football unless the football's really unspeakably terrible, which it hasn't been so far. It hasn't been amazing, but that's because of the resources that Wimbledon have, and they've got a very very young team at the moment. I think most people are quite excited that they're bringing through players from the youth academy, which they've really struggled with up until the last couple of years. But of course, that to set up a youth academy from scratch. I mean. Jack Rudoni, who's playing in midfield at, at, at the moment, is absolutely terrific. And, um, you know, he's, he, he set up the goal on, on Saturday against Fleetwood. He's, he's someone who looks as if he's got a, a big future. And also the captain, Will Nightingale, is out injured at the moment. Um, but I've had the opportunity to speak to him a, a couple of times recently. I was speaking to him at the, the Plough Lane Bond launch um, for the media last week. And um, it's, it's incredible. He really is I guess, living the Wimbledon supporters' dream. I mean, he was eight years old when he joined Wimbledon. Wow. And now he's on the brink with, you know, hopefully with the with the, with the the bond issue working as it is. He's going to be leading Wimbledon out at Plough Lane in like a couple of months. I mean, that is an absolutely astonishing time. The club don't really make that much of that, I find. <laughs> but, you know, that that is incredible to go from, you know, training with, with your local team as an eight-year-old to leading them out in their new, well, we won't say a Norma Dome. Mm-hmm. Nice new stadium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that's that's really special. And I think that is something, you know, the, the crowd feeling that click, feeling that warmth is, is, is really, really important. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, when I go as a fan, and I, I probably get the opportunity to go about like five or six times a season, maybe, maybe about the same as you, I, like, I, I do find that my connection with it is totally emotional I think possibly the difference is you still end up covering Brighton for work I almost never cover Wimbledon for work and and, and very rarely have covered at AFC Wimbledon for work so my reaction to Wimbledon is A based on not seeing them very much and B totally emotional it's it's not like I, I think like people who know me a little bit and know what I do for work expect me to like be picking apart the, the the game and the the, the the tactics just as I would if I was watching 
you know, Dortmund or Paris Saint-Germain or whatever else. I'd never think like that. I might notice things retrospectively when I've stepped out of the, the, the stadium and I'm not feeling the adrenaline of the game. But when I'm actually watching the game, I'm, I'm not thinking about, oh, you know, maybe we could drop a, a, a third man into midfield or, or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm never thinking like that. I'm thinking just smash it up there and let's try and score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different experience to how I absorb football in a, in a in a work capacity it's totally different yeah I'm 100% a lot more emotional when I'm not working definitely going yeah. to the game at the weekend um, I have the ability to swear a lot more <laughs> yeah. which is uh, quite enjoyable I think and the only thing is is that I was looking around me a bit as if to say like I hope no one that I work with is like hearing my foul mouth right now because the, the thing is you've got, you got to be still careful you've got to be professional yeah you've got to be careful because you are a public figure I mean I remember um, a, a friend of mine who I um, worked with during Euro 2008 um, we were interviewing uh, the great Rui Costa the great Manuel Rui Costa um, I think it was at half time during Portugal versus Switzerland in Geneva and um, this uh, a steward who obviously had no idea who he was said we well, can't stand there and grabbed him with both hands and started shifting him oh, God. and he launched an absolute tirade of expletives at him and my friend turned this tirade of expletives into a ringtone <laughs> <laughs> so his, his ringtone for ages was uh, Rui Costa chipping off and Rui Costa taught me how to swear in Portuguese there you go so you thanks a lot something new there you thanks go thanks a lot Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Remember, uh, you can always get in contact with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com by the increasingly popular medium of email. I mean, I have to say, I think about 75% of our emails are about Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury <laughs> this week. I've got but, development we'll, on that later. We'll to, have you? Yeah. Uh, we will come back to that. Like I said, the, the mailbox is bulging <laughs> with... Uh, 
Salop indignation. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what that means. I think uh, uh, that's just a sort of shortening of Shropshire. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about... At least I think that's the pronunciation. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> so, Sheffield United, Bournemouth. It was another win for Sheffield United. I cannot get over the fact that they are where they are in the table now. I don't know why it's surprising me because they've been on this run of form for such a long time now. But to even consider that they are now just a couple of points off a Champions League place is mental. Yeah, I mean, I think with Sheffield United, you've always got to start, brilliant as they have been this season, by looking over their shoulders. And the extraordinary thing is, the point total that they've got now, which is 39, that would have kept them up in every one of the last five seasons. Yeah. Bear in mind, there's 12 games left. I mean, and what their target would have been at the the beginning of the season, you already have to say the season's an absolutely enormous success. But I wanted to point this out from the Times. Um, Tony Cascarino has, has got his um, quite thought-provoking column uh, in there every Monday. And um, this was what was in yesterday. It says, um, uh, Europa League campaign is last thing Wilder needs. Um, uh, they rise above Tottenham to go fifth and can legitimately start dreaming about European football next season. How good can it get? Actually, if I followed United, I would be dreading a run next in Europe next season. It would be a step too far. Wilder has performed miracles in his three and a half seasons at the club, but he has done it by being realistic at the about the resources at disposal and what he wants out of them. A Europa League campaign next season is the last thing he needs. Now, you can debate that, the bit where he says, if I followed United, I would be dread- dreading a run in Europe next season. Uh, no, you wouldn't. No, you would you, not. You, you really no wouldn't. no way. Where's the ambition in that? The, the thing is, I, I, I can understand, like you get to a couple of seasons in, into the Premier League and you get a bit stuck. And Southampton have been there before. Swansea have been there before. Where you think, okay, well, we're, we're, we're safe but we can't get into Europe. And you're in that sort of no man's land in the, in the middle. And that's where focus can go awry. Teams can try stuff out and maybe take their eye off the ball and, and, and get relegated. You know, Charlton have been in that position as, as well and are, are making their, their way back now, doing okay in the championship. Um, that This idea as a fan that you would ever turn your back on European football, like no way. And how many chances is Sheffield United going to have? Exactly. But it has to be about, I'm not saying it should be their aim for this season, but if they get it, shout it from the rooftops. It would be fantastic. It would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, what is an acceptable point for them to qualify for Europe? Yeah. You know, if you're a, if you're a, a football, a football club, you've got to try and do as, as well as possible. That's, that's an absolute given. And I just wonder what are you protecting in the end? If it's just all about staying in the Premier League and Premier League money, that's a really sad indictment of what football's become, I think. Completely agree. I think you're right, Andy. At the start of the season, there wouldn't have been any Sheffield United fans, unless I'm completely getting this wrong, who would have thought, I know, first season in the Premier League, let's aim for a Europa League place. I don't think they would have set out for that. But now, the way things have gone... Even if you thought that, you wouldn't say it out loud, would would you? No, you wouldn't. Because I would say that majority of pundits and journalists who work in the media at the start of this season, very wrongly, 
predicted that Sheffield United would go down. I'm one of them. Of course, I, I and, thought they would. And the sensible Sheffield United fans, of course, will have bookmarked all those so they can tweet them back to the journalists <laughs> in question and throw it right in their faces. We, we do if, it. if you're not doing it already, what are you doing with exactly. your life? Well, we do a predictions thing at BT Sport, which I won last year, by the way. Did you? Yeah. So you, you, at the start of the season, before the first ball is kicked in the Premier League, you predict your top four, your European spots, your bottom yes. three, top goal scorer, most saves from a goalkeeper all that kind of stuff loads of different categories and I won it last year I was absolutely buzzing now uh, it's been a shambles this year I've already gone way off but yeah one of those that I went way off with is I thought Sheffield United would get relegated so I was completely wrong but I think at the start of the season for Sheffield United fans to have dreamt of a European place it would have been it would have felt unrealistic whereas now the way they've played the position they're in in the table they should be dreaming of European place and they should now be aiming for that. I think the quote that you read out from um, Tony Cascarino's piece, he said, Europe would be a step too far. I just, I completely disagree with that. I think that, yes, more recently we've seen the effects that playing Europa League football has had on Burnley, more so than Wolves this year. But even at the start of this season, to a certain degree, it did feel like, Europa League was affecting the way Wolves were playing in the Premier League. I think that's fair. However, they've managed to turn things around now. And I just think but, that... But isn't it, isn't it worth it anyway? Yeah, 100%. Isn't that's what I mean. Because I, I don't know, the season, that, the season that Wimbledon won the FA Cup, for example, the first season that I was going regularly to, 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 to football with my dad, I suppose it would have been about 10, 11. Um, Wimbledon really dropped off towards the end of the season and finished seventh. What, what am I thinking? Oh, well, instead of like going for the cup, we should have like <laughs> s- stuck to the league yeah, and we, yeah. we, we could have finished fifth instead. Exactly. Like, Is, at, is that not the same logic? As a, am I missing something? No, there? not at all. I think as a football fan, if you get that experience of following your team around Europe, that is, that's amazing. That's like, what yeah. an experience that would be. And I know that right now there'll be Sheffield United fans that are saying pack your bags we're going to Europe and and it's not necessarily a Europa League place they could finish in the top four the thing is if they finish fifth they don't have to do the Burnley Wolves-esque qualifiers true either do they yeah so the argument about them you know being faced with a horrendous fixture schedule mm. I mean it, it doesn't really hold as much but you know I, th- I think of friends of mine who support teams who've who've qualified for Europe, you know, you think of Stoke, I think of friends who support Hull City, for example. And one friend of mine, he's, he still finds it frustrating experience looking back at, you know, when Steve Bruce didn't go all in for their, for their qualifiers. I, th- I think it was maybe, maybe Brugger they, they, they lost to that. Okay. It was, it was definitely a Belgian side in the, in, in the playoff round. And, that was Hull's one chance mm. to, to get in Europe and go on a little mini tour with your mates. And you, you, when you have that chance with a club like Sheffield United, I mean, no disrespect to them or their history or their heritage, you just got to take it. You've just got to take it. We've talked before on, on Football Ramble Daily about our experiences as football fans and how it's not just about winning. It's about the experience and the journey and all of yeah. those kind of memories that you make. And for Sheffield United fans, I mean... What a memory that would be to get into Europe next season. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be really, really special. Another team from Yorkshire who are hoping to be in the Premier League next season is uh, Leeds United, of course. But they are having... Well, it's more than a little wobble now, isn't mm-hmm. it? After they lost at Nottingham Forest at the weekend. Leeds still in second, but Forest, who are really surging, are only a point behind them. 
What now. a massive result that was. And it got us thinking, didn't it? Because we, we, we were talking about this um, amongst ourselves before we came on air. Um, the idea that Bielsa's Bielsa ring again. <laughs> and you know, we were talking about what other coaches have these patterns of repetitive behaviour that we see. I mean, the Bielsa one's interesting because, um, you know, you, you look at his his work at, at, at previous clubs, especially at Athletic, especially other clubs in Europe. You look at Athletic and you look at Marseille, who were playing unbelievable football in his, his full season there. Top at Christmas, ended up finishing fourth. Still seen as a god there, I might add, because, you know, you talk about the journey being as important as the destination before. The fans absolutely loved that season. It was It was magical. Of course, Leeds have been through this season before, so they definitely don't want to go through it again. I mean, I don't know if it's a a little bit too soon to say the bottom's fallen out of it. It's just about the physical side of the game. It's just about how much he he flogs them. Although I've always wondered how his exacting methods would apply themselves to like a 46-match championship season. I mean, it's a long arduous it's a season. Long old season, isn't and, it? And the way it fell apart on the on, on the home straight for Leeds is something that would stick in the mind. I mean, I think you could argue there's a whole mental side to it. It's not just the physical side to it. I mean, Leeds fans who watch them every week will know better than me, but I don't think you can um, underplay the, the the psychological effect after after a defeat or two. You, there must be a feeling for some of those players of of here we go again. Yeah. But but Bielsa is someone who's always improved individual players and you know you look at the work he's done with like guys like Dimitri Payet he absolutely changed the course of his career for example and you know Payet never ends up doing what he does in the Premier League for West Ham if Bielsa didn't get his hands on him before you know he's just a a nice player who's in and out of games I, I, I think um, but but it is funny isn't it how the most experienced coaches just revert to type after after a bit isn't it it's interesting isn't it because now when you look at the, the table, as you say, Leeds are hanging on, they're clinging on by a thread to that top two place, to the automatic promotion places in the championship, having gone on such a good run at the start of the season and mm. putting together a, a string of wins like they did along with West Brom. They were sort of, I feel like at one stage, they were sort of challenging each other and, and getting the best out of each other because neither of them were dropping points. Yeah. And weirdly enough, they kind of both went through their dip at the same time around December and it's carried on into the new year for Leeds. They've now only won two of their last 11 matches in all competitions, including that FA Cup loss uh, to Arsenal as well. But what's also interesting is that looking at the amount of goals they've scored, the goals have dried up too. They've only scored two, two goals in their last six games. Mm. And when you talk about the intense way that Marcelo Bielsa asks his players to play and whether that can translate into a championship season when there are so many games and the schedule and and the fixtures come so thick and fast and they're so close together and there's so many matches to play. It, it must be hard on the players. But psychologically, I think is fascinating because... Last season, it all started falling apart after they they failed to beat Wigan. And Wigan were down to 10 men. And, and yeah, Wigan, right. Wigan haven't changed much this season. They're still down there in the bottom part of the table. And, and you know, their away form is just mm. as bad this year as it was last year. And it's all kind of... Ha- I know it's been happening before the Wigan game, but they only Leeds only played Wigan a couple of weekends ago and they lost that game as well. And there must have been something coming into that match, playing Wigan yet again, knowing they're in this kind of 
they're stuck in a little bit of a rut where they're struggling to get a win. And psychologically knowing that it all fell apart after that Wigan game last year and it's sort of potentially going to happen again. How does a coach like Bielsa get that out of the players that it's, you know, let's forget about what happened last season and try and actually focus on this season, making this the season we go up. And if you're known as a coach for something happening to you again and again and again, recognising it and doing something about it are, are two totally different things. But what can they? he do? This is the thing. What what will what can Bielsa do differently with his team in this second half of the season, with the closing part of the season yeah. now, really, that he hasn't done before? Because as you've already mentioned with Marseille and Athletic Bilbao, those traits were that in the second half of the season, it just turns a little bit, it's just not as good as the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned this to you before, but like one of the most lasting images I've, I've ever seen after a, a major final was when Athletic lost to actually Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid in um, Bucharest. And at the end of that final, I think people who watch it at the time will definitely remember it, how the players, all of them, not just some of them, they weren't just crying on the pitch. They were absolutely bawling their eyes out. Mm. And I remember um, you always end up hanging up around for ages after a final. And I remember the, seeing all the, the players coming out and they were still crying. And they were followed by um, the press officer who had a clutch of 25 silver medals because everyone had left them in the, in, in the dressing room. And what happened then and the way they started the next season, which was pretty poor it was a massive drop off given that some of the football that they played in that in, in that season under under Bielsa he didn't seem to be able to rally them to to go again and um for someone who's got obviously great insights on on football and and, and life to an extent and someone who's proved very relatable in in daily life and a lot of Leeds fans speak about that he's someone who really struggled to pick players up after it after it went wrong so that's why, in a way, I was so surprised they they, they started this season well. Um, it's a test, I suppose, again of, of of whether he can do that. But you know, he's he's not in a minority of one uh, in in terms of top coaches, elite coaches who go through the same things again and again and again. I mean, you know, we could talk about Pep Guardiola overthinking Champions League matches, and that's something that's happened to to him in some big ties over over the last couple of years when they've lost to opposition that you would expect them to beat. And I think you include Liverpool at the time because you know, Manchester City were clearly better team than Liverpool at the point where they were beaten quite comprehensively by them in the, in, in the Champions League. Um, you look at uh, Jose Mourinho, who is someone who, in a Champions League context again, and we're going to find out when they play um, Leipzig in this up, up, upcoming round of, of, of Champions League games and we've got such a bright young coach in, in Julian Nagelsmann. He's gone back to type in, in terms of Champions League games and you know you, you look at especially that that um, Manchester United tie with Sevilla where he's content to get a nil-nil draw away from home and then it came back and bit him when Sevilla scored at Old Trafford how do you break out of that mindset because I think especially for coaches like that absolutely iconic coaches like Bielsa Mourinho Guardiola a part of your sense of self is your legend and your philosophy so how do you keep that philosophy? How do you keep that personality that gives you your power, but at the same time, subtly adjust it without losing face? So change things and say, this isn't working. 
I'm going to move things about. I think one of the coaches who's been the best at that actually is is Carlo Ancelotti. Mm-hmm. Uh, between Bayern and Napoli, he he changed a lot of things. Even though it it didn't end brilliantly at Napoli, but that's for that includes a lot of other factors, including stuff that's going on with them off the pitch. But then you look at Everton, where he's had such a positive impact, and the boys were talking about it on the on the ramble yesterday. And I think it was... Did you um, see his face when when Sidibe came to come on and he didn't have his second <laughs> sock? Oh, it was a picture. It was pretty good, it wasn't was it? It was hilarious. He was like, oh, you could just... I, the words that must have come out of his mouth in another language were probably brilliant. But I think it, I think it was uh, I think it was Jim or Marcus who was saying that well, maybe we overthought it a bit with Ancelotti. You know, would he be the right fit with Everton? And is he just a fantastic coach and they're very, very lucky to have him. He's not just a fantastic coach, though. He's someone who can adapt. And I think someone like that, who's won everything, no one can step to his record. It's absolutely incredible. If he never wins a bean, if he never wins another match for the rest of his career, he'll still stand up as an absolute modern great amongst amongst football managers. Absolutely. Um, You know, throughout the European game. Um, But but to, to reach that point and yet say, you know what, I'm going to look at myself and change things considering that he was you know an elite player and then an elite coach I I think that's something pretty special I think what's interesting is that these sort of characteristics that we've picked out if we can call them characteristics or failings I suppose you know Bielsa's second part of the season sort of meltdown or kind of slip ups and then you look at Jose Mourinho who seems to get to a certain sort of stage in his managerial tenure at a club and seems to fall out with everyone everyone and find conflict in anything and everything. Pep Guardiola not being able to win the Champions League with Manchester City yet. When, When you talk about these types of characteristics and failings, if you would, it's almost what defines them and almost what makes you... It's a characteristic of them that almost makes them what they are, which I quite like in a way, because if you don't have anything to be remembered by you almost want to be remembered for something, don't you? And these aren't things that are necessarily... I don't think Pep Guardiola yet... There are a lot of fans that are saying that if Pep Guardiola doesn't win the Champions League with Manchester City, then he's failed. I don't know how you can say that. That's nonsense. Yes, I understand that he was brought in to win the Champions League for Manchester City. But look at everything else he's won. He was was brought in to elevate their football to a different level. And he has done that. And And way more than that. I mean, he's changed the way I think we even play football in this country now he's an absolute genius and one of the best managers we will ever see manage in the Premier League so regardless of whether or not he manages to win the Champions League with Manchester City or not I think is is irrelevant to his his success there of course if he wins it with them it will just be even more amazing for the Manchester City fans because that's what they want that's what they're striving for but if he doesn't I don't think it means he's a failure and I know that there are some people that are saying that and suggesting it which I find mad. Look, we promised you loads of uh, Shrewsbury Stroke Shrewsbury <laughs> correspondence. It seems uh, that you are the princess of pronunciation. It's what uh, the that, people that, want, Andy. That's, that's what our mailbag <laughs> says, uh, Jules. Okay, uh, so Shrewsbury it is. So, yeah, there, there, there you go. Um, How many emails did we get on Shrewsbury, oh, a, Shrewsbury? A, a lot, <laughs> so a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hacking through it's been them It's our most popular week for emails. Um, there's one from uh, uh, Tristan Edwards. Um, I just uh, caught the end of the week's show and heard your comments on how to pronounce uh, Shrewsbury. We're going with Shrewsbury for the moment. Yep. Including the email from the guy claiming it's definitely Shrewsbury. I had to contact you to say there appears to be a big divide 
within the population of the town as to how they say, say the name of the place they live. But a poll in the local paper, the Shropshire Star, failed Shrewsbury, as did a debate. This is an academic debate um, held in, in 2015. Who needs academics? <laughs> um, Rob- well, when they, when they back your opinion, yeah. I, I think every, fine. Every, every, everyone. Um, yeah, Jasper Watkin also says, going to keep it brief, uh, my dad is from Shrewsbury and confirmed that this week's emailer was wrong. It is uh, phonetic, or at least my dad and everyone I've ever met from Shropshire has pronounced it that way. Love the show, Jasper. Thank you, Jasper. Also, Rob Jones tweeted me earlier in the week and said, we'd just like to draw poor Jules Breach and Andy Brassel to the attention of this definitive poll from the Shropshire Star about six years ago. You were right all along, Jules. 81% of people in a poll in the Shropshire Star voted that it was, in fact, Shrewsbury. 81%? 81 and not Shrewsbury. And believe it or not, I'm not making this up. You, you, You wouldn't believe this. But I actually met someone literally today who is from Shrewsbury. And I asked her, I said, oh, my God, you can confirm. Is it Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury? And she said, it's Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, babe, she said. I was like, thanks. There you go. Confirmation. (laughs) Well, I'm relieved that we can put that one to bed. Um, We do have one last one, uh, which is beautiful, actually, because it brings together... um, the ramble and us it's addressed to show at footballrambledaily.com it was true remember (laughs) (laughs) and um, it's also uh, addressed to us of course you can contact us Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com I want to comment about Luke Moore if I may oh I feel as if we're talking out of school here but because it's to do with fantasy I feel I have to bring it up to to, to you because it's to both of us Uh, one of the lads in my fantasy league posted a tweet or something uh, mentioning that Luke Moore from the Ramble had captain Raz last week on his fantasy team against Raz Uh, apparently that's Raheem Sterling got ya my uh, younger than me sources tell me <laughs> um, a game where he racked up uh, th- 83 minutes one yellow card one shot on target amounting to a whopping one fantasy point two for Luke and was lucky to have not been sent off for the <laughs> challenge on Ali uh, I assure you I am not uh, a fantasy uh, geek in fact, I'm quite shit at fantasy, but I'm not shit enough to captain or own Raz. I suggest that you run your team by Jules before the teams are locked every week so you can avoid these mistakes in future. She is quite passionate and tactical with her fantasy team management, and so I'm sure she would be able to help you out. There you go. You you are the boss of fantasy, according to the Ramblers out there. Just don't uh, ask Andy. His big brain can't be bothered to come down to our level and participate in fantasy football. I just no, never you're going to do it next I just year, never get, you? Yeah, you you're, you're coaching me. I never get round to um i never get around to uh changing my team unfortunately after the first week so you're going to be on my case next next uh i definitely year, am. aren't you um any anyway alex uh suggests maybe a ramble meets episode with a fantasy football specialist is in order oh well actually i've been on ramble meets so is james horncastle maybe you should be on ramble meets you can talk to me about fantasy all day long. I love it. Although if this week is, is anything to go by, <laughs> I don't know how much of a professional I am at it and how much you guys should be running your ideas by me because I decided to take a bit of a punt. I've dropped down my leagues a little bit in the last few weeks. So I've had a, a bit of a mare. So I thought I'd go a little bit different with my captain this week. And you, this sounds weird to say it's different, but right. I brought in Aguero right. and captained him. Now, normally I've got I've gone for a Liverpool player pretty much most of the season, but I thought most people are going to captain Salah this week, so I'm going to go different because I need to chase some teams. And then obviously the match got postponed. Oh, Sabina. I, Sabina, yeah, you've let her down. God. So I still don't actually know. Has there been any news yet on when it's going to be rescheduled for? At the time of recording, we still don't know when that game's going to be rescheduled no, there's, for. There's only three possible dates. And look, I'm all in favour of teams playing 
on a Thursday, on a random Thursday. Yeah, me when too. Uh, in the back end of the season when they run out of time. Yeah, that's fine with me. Do you know what it does? What it does spring up though this what? potential because City are still in in the cups as well. There could be a quadruple game week for Manchester City, which would be nuts. It's unlikely to happen, but. It's a still, it's a tiny possibility. But doesn't that make it quite tough because they can rotate, rotate quite vigorously? They'll rotate a lot, yeah. So basically just pick Edison because he'll play all four. <laughs> that's what, that, that's, Cla- that's my Claudio tip. Claudio Bravo's going, tip. oh, that's oh, what you think. That's what you God, think. Yeah. Presumably Claudio Bravo's cheap. I mean, you know. Yeah, he will be, but he won't play. <laughs> you can't just buy cheap players, Andy, and expect them to get you points. Right, I'm, I'm noting all these things as, as, as we go along. Uh, any fantasy feedback or tips or anything else uh, gratefully received at Jules Breach at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Yeah, make sure you do get in touch with us. We always love hearing from you. Right, Andy, enjoy the football tonight. You're going off to watch Wimbledon. Thank you, I shall. I'm in taking the, the snood. Cold. Taking the snood. Good luck, enjoy. Thanks. This was a Stakhanov production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.